Good morning. It's good to, good to see you here. Uh, good to see people back, Carol it's, and Isaiah. Great to see you guys. And uh, Lee's good to have you back from your trip. Um, we are growing. Growth is all around us at the moment. Anyone walked along, where are we, 26th? If you've walked along 26th Avenue by the church here, it is absolutely wonderful. Oh, it's okay. That's all right, computer glitch. It is absolutely wonderful. You'll see it uh, as you do this. So there's growth all around. Blossom is happening. It's just majestic. And I hope some of us are seeing growth in our lives. Grow is our word for 2019. Growth as we follow Jesus. Growth as we learn to lean on him. And I just want to point you in the direction of a couple of people who want to grow physically for Jesus this year. Andre and uh, Adrian, come and uh, show your physical bodies to us. (laughs) And... Within reason. <laughs> so, uh, Andre, why don't you go first? Because you're doing something quite um, difficult. <laughs> well, um, I am preparing for the ride to conquer cancer. Um, we all know people in this church, you know, here that have been touched by cancer. Um, personally, I've been very touched. I lost a brother to cancer. Um, quite a quite a number of years ago, so you know, I thought this is a way that we can I can raise some money. What does it mean? It means I'm doing 200 kilometers in August. You know, 100 kilometers for two days, or um, 100 kilometers times two. So I need to you know do some training because that's that's not a ride that you can just hop on the bike and go do and <laughs> you know survive. Um, <laughs> so. I have been slowly trying to train, um, and, and I added the numbers up this morning, and they were somewhat disappointing. <laughs> I'll start with the good one. I did um, 113 kilometers more in March than I did in February. Unfortunately, January I did 113 kilometers. February I only did 38, because <laughs> it was not a nice month to ride in, um, but in March, I did 141, um, which brings my total for uh, this year so far up to 293 kilometers. Um, and of those, um, my longest ride was 30 kilometers. So I've got a long ways to go, but, you know, I'm working up and, and trying to get that uh, up so that, you know, 100-kilometer ride is not a, a huge struggle because, you know, I need to do it twice. <laughs> um, if you would like to support me in this, you don't have to come training with me. <laughs> actually, actually, no, I, I will correct that. If you want to come ride with me, you want to come do the, the ride to conquer cancer, do it. Join me. You know, um, you, can, you can work on uh, fundraising. Um, you'll have a, a personal goal to, goal to catch. Talk to me about that. Um, now, there's another way you can support me. You, you see that number there, that little 8%? <laughs> that, that's how much I've earned so far. And some of that is my own money. <laughs> so I am 8% of my way to the goal. So 
if you if you want to help out, if you want to donate to um, cancer research, there's a link up top that goes right to the the foundation. You get a tax receipt, all that. It doesn't come through me, but it does help add to my toll of my goal of twenty five hundred dollars to to raise. Thank you. That's great. And so we're, we're going to be watching Andre grow um, uh, <laughs> and take shape. Adrian, um, so you've got something that's coming up a little bit sooner. That's right. I'm participating in the, uh, the Vancouver Sun Run again. I try to do that every year as sort of a, a physical uh, challenge. The problem is everything in between... You know, sun runs, there's uh, not much uh, activity. So, so what tends to happen is uh, my weight grows. And last year, I, uh, I think I gained around 10 kilos. And so I've been uh, keen to lose that. And uh, there's good progress on that. Um, I think I've lost about uh, five or six so far. So uh, we'll, we'll try to lose the, the remainder in the next few months. With the running, I started kind of late. Um, I, I only started training a few weeks ago, so I went from zero kilometers <laughs> to about maybe about 12, 13 run, but it's been uh, quite a struggle. I've, I've only run about uh, three times, but uh, so far about three kilometers, and then I have to stop and walk a little bit and, you know, and then run a little bit more. But hopefully uh, by April 14th, I believe, uh, I can get up to 10 and, uh, and complete it. I, I think, uh, Neil, uh, Parker might be running too, and, and there might be a few others, so. Oh, okay, good, good, yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you. So we will be watching both of you. And it's great, when, when God calls us to grow, it's not just growing, um, Spiritually, we, we grow emotionally and we grow physically as well. So it's wonderful to see what you guys are doing. We're, we'll be following you. Okay. Picture the scene. A common scene. It's a scene that happened a lot in the Josh household when the kids were younger. Two siblings playing nicely together. That's not the common scene. <laughs> Two toddlers playing nicely together in a room full of toys. Things are going well. But as parents, we know that that scene will not last. It's just the lull before the storm. And then it happens. (laughs) Both of them decide that one toy out of all the toys in the room is the Holy Grail. It's their favorite. And before you know it, they're screaming, both of them, No! Mine! It's mine! It's my toy! It's my favorite! I need it! And you hope, as a parent at that time, that those carefully crafted lessons on sharing that you gave might come to the fore, but alas, no. And so, like a UN peacekeeper, you march into the room and tell one child to give the toy to the other child. It's a no-win situation. Because the look on the snubbed child's face says it all. 
how could you? You've betrayed me. Do you not understand the future implications of your action, the harm to our relationship, and the endless and expensive rounds of therapy? (laughs) Don't you know this is my favorite toy? Why would you tell me to give it up? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to give up something that we value so much. Something that means the world to us. Something that we hold dearly and tightly. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about and looking at growing in faith. Growing in trusting God more in our lives. And we've seen that it involves movement and it involves vulnerability coming out of our comfort zone and maybe it will involve a little bit of pain and suffering. Growing in faith, growing in trusting God is a wonderful, wonderful goal. But let's not kid ourselves. It's really, really hard. And this morning we're going to look at perhaps one of the hardest ways that God calls us to grow in faith. And just like those squabbling kids, something that we're reluctant to do. But something we know we must do if we want to trust God more. And we're going to look at it by uh, focusing on a story involving Abraham. uh, Who stands in the faith hall of fame. Giant of faith, but someone who we saw last week, you remember he comes from an insignificant background, from a dysfunctional family, socially shunned because he had no children, no heir, which was everything back then. But someone who believed God's promises and obeyed the command, go. And we are this morning going to look at a story I'm going to be honest, I hate preaching on it. It's perhaps the most dramatic story in the Bible, and yet the most disturbing one, the most perplexing one, the most gobsmacking passage in the whole of Scripture. And before I start going through it, I want to tell you where we're going and what we're going to do, because it's going to be slightly different. First thing, and this is the big plus, this sermon only has one point. Only, yes, can I have an hallelujah? Yeah, there we go. I normally rack up the points in my sermons, you know, five, six, seven of them, but today there's only going to be one for us to remember. Secondly, I'm going to walk through this story slowly. Pausing to make some observations, and as I do that, can I ask you to engage with it? Can I ask you to engage with it physically and emotionally? Can I ask you to place yourself in the story? Use your imagination this morning, okay? 
uh, and take on a character in the story. Or maybe see it through the eyes of a bystander. Because I think it will help us, because I really believe that God wants to speak into our hearts and our emotions this morning, not just our mind. So can you do that? And lastly, as a warning, this sermon is going to be very personal. This story impacts me deeply. (laughs) I've shed tears this week just preparing the sermon. I don't know how I'm going to do actually giving the sermon, so I I need the hankies here. But the illustrations I'm going to use to help us enter into the story is going to draw on really personal situations in my life, and it will involve the most precious thing in my life, which is my kids, especially my son, Sam. So hopefully you'll see the relevance as that as we go through the story. All right, so there's, uh, I need to say that up front. Okay, deep breath. Ready? Here we go. Genesis 22. If you've got your Bibles, find Genesis 22. Because we're going to be walking through this together. And as, as you're finding it, let me remind you where we are. God has come to Abraham and his wife Sarah and promised them a child. And they both laughed at this suggestion because they're both well over the hill and they've given up hope but it was true and surprise surprise the old lady becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son a precious son an only son Isaac and that great promise that God had made to Abraham's finally been fulfilled And life for Abraham and Sarah was finally beginning to settle down. They were getting on well with the neighbors. Business was good and flourishing. They got a nice new camel in the garage. uh, And the tent was coming along. They just moved tents. And so the tent was coming along just the way that they wanted it to be. Pension scheme in place. They were complete as a family. Which is great. They had their son. They had settled down. Everything's good in the world. End of story. No. Because this idyllic scenario is about to be shattered. First one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here I am, he responded. We are told at the very beginning of this story that this is a test from God. God is going to test Abraham. The writer of Genesis, probably Moses, is obviously keen to let us know this up front. So we know the reason why God is going to ask Abraham to do something. And we know the outcome. But let's remember that Abraham didn't. He was in the dark. He didn't understand why, was, why God was going to call him to do what we're going to find out in a minute. And I guess the big question at the very start of this is, 
Why was God testing Abraham? Why? Was it because God needed to know how Abraham's going to respond? Was it because God needed to find out how much Abraham trusted him? You see, if we go down that route, we're actually suggesting that God doesn't know the answers to those questions. That God doesn't know us fully. That he doesn't know our hearts, and of course he does. Of course he does. He knows everything about us. He knows how much I can bear. He knows how much faith I have. He knows how much I can trust him. He doesn't need to test me to find that out. It's not a fact-finding mission for God. So whose benefit is the test? Well, it's for the benefit of Abraham. How? Well, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? In, in James, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials or tests of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing makes us grow in our faith. Testing builds strength. Going through trials deepens our faith. So this isn't a mean, sadistic God playing funny games with Abraham. Oh, let's have a bit of a laugh. No. It's a God who's looking to grow the faith of one that he loves. So we know that, up front, that this whole episode is a test for Abraham. Testing him by doing what? Verse 2. <clears throat> then God said, Take your son, your only son, the one that you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. <clears throat> son, only son, who you love. Son is used ten times in this passage. Abraham had been waiting for this son to arrive for 25. The birth of Isaac must have been a special time. I've been blessed with four kids. And the birth of each of them was incredibly special. No words can describe the feeling of seeing your son or daughter enter into the world. It's a mixture of joy and pride and for Linda, relief. It's messy. But what an experience. Painful but full of joy. Sam's birth in particular was memorable. We, we, he was, he's the third one of the four. And so we thought we had this birthing thing down pat. And so we left it to the last minute to get to the hospital. Linda was having contractions for quite some time. And we said, oh, I'll just leave it. It's fine. It's ages yet. And then she said, no, I really think it's coming. No, no, it's fine. Forever, I think it's coming. So we rushed in the car 
going through uh, the city centre in England, rush hour traffic, six o'clock in the evening. And she's saying, Trevor, the baby's going to come. The baby's going to come. I know it is. I said, pants, pants. Do what they taught you uh, in the classes. <laughs> Hold it. And so you can imagine the scene. We're rushing through. And I'm going through red lights. And then we get there. And Linda falls onto the bed. And as she falls onto the bed, Sam arrives. I can't imagine how Abraham must have felt when his miracle baby was born. His son. His only son. So very precious. They would have been so close, wouldn't they? They would have hung out together, played ball together, learnt together, and that bond between father and son would have grown. Abraham would have been so proud of his boy. Sam is everything I ever wanted in a boy. I'm sure I would have loved him if he sat reading books all day or collected butterflies or something. But Sam, he he loves sport, like his dad. He's active, he's outgoing, he's funny. I started calling him my best boy from an early age. And then one day, something clicked and he he came to me and said, Dad, you know you say that I'm your best boy? I said, yes. He said, well, I'm I'm your only boy. (laughs) He wasn't the sharpest tool in the box. (laughs) He was 15 at the time. (laughs) I love my boy. Always loved my boy. Abraham loved his son just as I love Sam, but maybe more. And then God comes and says to him, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him for me. Unbelievable. Incredible. I, I can't imagine how Abraham felt. I would do anything to keep Sam from being harmed. There's nothing worse for parents than seeing one of our children suffer. Some of you have had to go through some tough situations with your kids. But God says to Abraham, kill your son. The one you love so much, I don't understand it. A test is one thing, but surely that's going too far. Nothing in the world was as important to Abraham as Isaac. Carry on with the story. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. We don't know what's going through Abraham's mind. All we're told that he just gets up early and he sets off. 
no hesitation, no waiting around, just obedience. And he collects enough wood for the uh, sacrifice as the place where they're going is more desert-like, so there's not many trees, so they need to take the wood with them. He takes two servants and his boy, and they set off. The journey is about 60 miles, so it's going to take them three days. Three days to get there. Now, here's the thing. Three days they would be traveling together. Father and son riding side by side, camping overnight, sharing meals, plenty of time to chat. You know how exciting it is for a boy to go on a trip with his dad? He used to do that a lot with Sam. He played soccer tournaments all over and and I'd go to soccer tournaments with him, spend overnight with him, and that's extra special. Remember, he did a soccer trial for a U.S. university down in Seattle, and we spent three days there, and uh, I had to go and get ice every time after a training session so that you'd have an ice bath, and I just remember carrying the ice through the hotel. And I remember those evenings spent with him in the hotel room when he would tell me about his he would tell me about what he really wanted to do. He'd tell me about his fears and his hopes. Special times with your dad. Maybe Isaac on that journey was telling his dad about his hopes, about his future. Can you imagine how Abraham would be feeling? He's now had time to process what God was asking him to do. He must have thought, you know what, I, I, can't, I need to turn around and go back. I can't do this. But, but he carried on. Incredible. And then we read, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. So Abraham says to his servants, just wait here. We're going up to the mountain to worship. Worship, as you know, at that time involved a sacrifice. But on that day, Abraham believed that it would involve the ultimate for him. Abram and his boy were going to church and they went prepared to sacrifice. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes my son, the fire and wood are here but Where's the lamb for the sacrifice, for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So they set off up the mountain with the younger Isaac. He's carrying the wood. Most commentators believe that Isaac was probably in his mid to late teens 
15, 16 maybe, at this time. So they set off and they go, and Isaac speaks to his dad. This is the only recorded conversation between the two of them in the whole of Scripture. So it must be important. Isaac says, Dad, we've, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, but Dad, I know you're old, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting the lamb for the sacrifice. And then Abraham tells his son something that every father should tell their own children. Don't worry, son. God will provide. You see, Abraham was following the call of his father in heaven. He was being obedient. Even He didn't understand because he trusted God. He trusted that his Lord wouldn't let him down. He believed that God would provide. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about this very passage and explains that Abraham believed that even if his son was to be killed, God would still have the power to raise him from the dead. He even told his servants that he and Isaac would worship and that they would return. He believed that God would provide. He trusted in God's provision. You see, God hadn't let him down so far. He had delivered on all his promises. He wasn't going to stop trusting God now, even though things looked pretty bleak. And he didn't understand how. I don't know if you're in a situation that looks impossible at the moment. You can't see how you're going to move forward, maybe at work or at home or a health issue. Remember God's promise that he will provide. He will provide for our needs. He will give us everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything we need. And that's something that we have to tell our kids. You see, there's a great danger that we, that we provide everything for our children. We give them all that they need and we pamper them and we protect them. Things have changed, haven't they? I remember when I was a kid, I used to stay out after dark riding my bike everywhere, nicking fruit and veg from nearby fields and eating them without washing them. <laughs> I used to walk three miles to school every day and back again. I sound like an old man now, don't I? <laughs> Better in my day. <laughs> but now, and I include myself in this, we pamper our kids. We need to know exactly where they are every minute. They sneeze and we rush them to emergency. We get their stomach pumped if they eat something that's fallen on the kitchen floor for a couple of seconds. And hear me, there's nothing wrong to care for your kids. Please hear me. But there is a danger that they grow up looking to us to meet all their needs. Their physical needs, their spiritual needs, their emotional needs. And they lean on us instead of leaning on God. There's nothing worse as a parent than feeling helpless. I remember when Sam broke his leg. He was 15 years old. He broke it playing soccer in three places leg was broken and he was in dreadful pain it was a tough time because his dream at that point was to become one day a professional soccer player 
I stood by helpless as they carried him from the soccer field into the ambulance. I stood by helpless as the doctor told us that Sam's growth plate in his leg had been severely damaged and that he would have to have surgery. And there was a distinct possibility that his growth would be stunted and one leg would be taller than another. And his dream of playing soccer professionally would be over. I so wanted to do something to make things better. I wanted to provide for my son. But I couldn't. I remember sitting at his bedside at Children's Hospital and he asked me, Dad, what's going to happen? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I just told him that we needed to trust God. Because ultimately it is he who will provide for all of Sam's needs. Not me. We need our children to learn that lesson. You see, Abraham could have taken matters into his own hands. He could, have, he could have found a lamb for his sacrifice. But he wanted his son to know that ultimately he has to trust God. Not his dad. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. I have real trouble with this. You can imagine the scene that the writer builds up the tension. He, it's almost describing the action in slow motion. Notice that Isaac doesn't struggle. He could have overpowered his aging father, couldn't he? But he trusts his dad. And that's what sons do, isn't it? You grow up and you, and, and you look up to your dad. He can't do anything wrong. He's my dad. Isaac would have been confused. Dad, what's happening? What, what are you doing, Dad? And they would have been looking at each other. Abraham would have been crying. Ever seen your dad cry? Dads don't cry. And tears are rolling down Abraham's cheeks. He's saying, I'm sorry, son. Remember that I love you. I love you so much. I have trouble with that. But then, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. The Lord calls out, don't touch the boy. I know now that you trust me with everything you have. Even your son, your only son. And then Abraham looks and he sees the lamb. And God provides the lamb for the sacrifice. God provides the sacrifice. Isn't that an amazing story? Troubling story in so many ways. A story that, to be honest, I find hard to understand or comprehend. It's a story that tugs on our emotions, but I think it challenges us. And it speaks to us today about how we can grow in faith, grow in trusting God more in our lives. And what is it that God wants to tell us this morning? One point. Here it is. Surrender. To grow in faith, we must surrender. Surrender everything. Do you notice that Abraham only says three words to God in this entire story? In fact, he says these three words twice. At the beginning, when God calls his name and Abraham says, here I am. And when Abraham is just about to murder his son, God calls out again and again. Abraham responds with, here I am. Don't you find that strange? Don't you find it unusual that Abraham doesn't try to argue with God? That with me, I'd be trying to persuade God that he's got it all wrong. I'd be making up all the excuses under the sun. I'd be entering into a dialogue with God. But all Abraham says to God is, here I am. And those three words are hugely significant. It's more than just Abraham just acknowledging God's voice saying, yeah, I'm here. What do you want? He's saying... Here I am. Here I am. He's adopting a position of complete submission. He's giving himself totally to the Lord. He's surrendering himself, everything, to God. He's surrendering the most precious thing in his life to God. He's prepared to give up his only son, whom he loves very much, for God. And that's hard for us to understand. You see, often in our lives we make good things, our marriages, our kids, our jobs, into ultimate things. And what happens is we end up putting our ultimate hope and fulfillment in these things and not in God. We put our faith and trust in these things and not in God. But Jesus says, seek me first and I'll give you everything you need really need after that are you prepared to give up everything even the most precious thing to God am I prepared to give up everything for God when we decided to leave England sell up and take our family to Vancouver our church back home uh, did a special leaving service for us it was great they blessed us and supported us Um, But the moment I most remember about that service is when we sang that great old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. You know that song? All to Him I Freely Give. 
I got to the chorus when we started to sing, I surrender all. And I broke down. I couldn't sing because I was sobbing. The enormity of what we were doing suddenly struck me. And I started to think about my kids tearing them away from their friends, their grandparents, their school, everything that they had known. I was literally on my knees saying, Lord, I, I have to give you my kids because I no longer know what is going to happen to them in the future. And it was painful and it was humbling. Do I have enough faith to surrender my kids to trust God with the most precious thing to me, my children. Do I have enough faith? Can I do it? As they start to leave home, as they have now, and sometimes they come back. <laughs> but as they leave home and they make their own way, can I let them go and give them to God even when they take wrong decisions and wrong turns? And I'll be honest, I don't know. At the moment, I'm not sure. Am I prepared to sacrifice them? As Abraham was called to do. I can't see it. But I know that I need to get to that point. Because when I do, my faith will grow. My trust in God will grow. Someone once told me, Trevor, to follow Jesus, you need to hold lightly what you value greatly. Say that again. You need to hold lightly what you value greatly. What do you value greatly? Are you holding it lightly? What's the most precious thing to you? What do you find the hardest thing to surrender to God? Is it your kids? Is it your job? Is it your dreams? Is it your future? Is it your security? Is it your health? Can you and I honestly say, I surrender all? Why should we surrender all? Because our Father in heaven surrendered all for us. You see, the story of Abraham and Isaac has so many parallels with what was to happen on that same mountain many years later. Like Isaac, a son would be led to the slaughter, yet he doesn't open his mouth. Just as Isaac carries his own wood up to the altar, a son would also carry his wooden cross. Just as Abraham sacrificially and obediently lays Isaac on the altar, so the sin sacrificially and obediently submits to his father's will. But there's a difference to the end of the story. Abraham is provided with a substitute lamb in order to save Isaac. But the son, Jesus Christ, becomes the lamb. And our father in heaven sacrifices his son, his only son, the son whom he loves so very much for us, to give us life. He surrenders everything, everything. What should our response be? Well, as Christ laid down his life for us, so we should lay down maybe our life, 
our hopes, our dreams, our finances, our future, our kids, our very selves to him. I surrender all. Let's pray. What is it that you and I most value in this life? the most precious thing to us? Are we willing to give it to Jesus? Are we willing to surrender that? Our dreams, our hopes, our security. Father, I thank you for this story that's in Scripture. Lord, I don't understand it fully. I don't find it easy. But Lord, we know it's there for a reason. And Father, I do pray that you would help us grow to trust you more. Trust you with those things that we hold tightly. Lord, open our arms and our hands allow us to give those things to you, our hopes, our fears, our dreams, our kids, our job, whatever it is, Lord, can we surrender all to you?